0: Father, thank you for your son Jesus who is strong and kind. Thank you for your great love for each of us that was demonstrated on that cross to give us life. We pray, Lord, as we look into Judges tonight, that we would hear you speak to us through your word. pray you would bless this time and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we looked at the birth of Samson, which had some pretty unique circumstances. You had Manoah. Anybody remember what we called his wife last week? Jill, right? She's not named in scripture, so we called her Jill. Um, And she was barren, and the angel of the Lord shows up, tells her she's going to have a baby. He's going to be a Nazarite from birth. Manoah's cool with this, asks the angel to come back, and the angel does. says, yep, he's going to be a Nazarite from birth. And Manoah's like, cool. So, Samson is born, and there's all kinds of miraculous circumstances. Of course, the angel of the Lord was Jesus. We talked about that. And then in chapter two, he goes down to a town among the Philistines, and he sees a a, a hot mama and says to his parents, I want to marry her. Go get her for me. And his parents are like, Shouldn't you marry somebody from Israel? And he's like, Nope, I want her. Go get her for me. And in that process of going down to get her, he kills a lion. He poses a riddle because there's honey from the lion, all that good stuff. So if you missed it, I highly encourage you to go back and listen. But what we saw last week was Samson's pride, his anger, and his lust getting him into trouble. And that's what we're going to see more of today. Chapter 15. After a while, oh, we should go back. So after he posed he posed a riddle about the lion and the honey, the men of the city who were his companions threatened to kill him. No, threatened to kill his wife and her dad. And burn their house with fire. What else do you burn stuff with? You're going to burn your house with fire? sugar. But they threatened to burn their house with fire and so she convinced Samson to give up the secret of his riddle. He did. The people told him the answer because she told them. And he said, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. It's one of my favorite scriptures in the book of Judges. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he killed 30 guys to come up with his side of the bet. And then Samson's wife was given to So his anger was aroused and he went back to his father's house. And his wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. Now Samson didn't know that because he was back at his father's house. After a while, in the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. You know, I think he was trying to make up for calling her a heifer. I'm sorry, babe. Here's a goat. (laughs) That tickled Pat. (laughs) I appreciate that. One person laughed. That's all I need. And he said, let me go into my wife, into her room, but her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them this time, I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. And Samson went out and caught 300 foxes, and he took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and olive groves. So Samson goes to visit his wife, who had been given to this other guy. He gets there, and the dad goes, ah, she wasn't all that pretty anyway. Look at her younger sister. Much better looking. Give her the goat. And Samson's like, oh, no, you didn't. I'm going to be blameless about whatever happened he goes out, and he catches 300 foxes. Now, foxes is a not the best translation. The word is actually burrower. Now, foxes do burrow. But the other word in Hebrew is jackal. Now, I don't know if, do jackals burrow? I should have looked that up. Yep. But jackals burrow as well. So, I'm going, John Ritchie said jackals burrow. So, if any jackal jackals. Jackals. jackals not jackals. Um, but he catches 300 of them, ties them into pairs. Now, I don't care if it's a fox. What's that? Jack- jackals do burrow? Google has proven John Ritchie right. Um, ties them together with torches tied between their tails, sets the torches on fire, and lets them go. Now, how did he hold 300 foxes. Maybe he had a, a, a fenced-in area or something. How did he tie their tails together? Right? These are questions I don't have answers to. It's an incredible display of the power that God had given Samson. But he lets them loose. It burns all their standing grain. Remember, it was the time of the wheat harvest. Burned all their vineyards and burned all their olive groves. This would have meant the people in that area... We're going to go hungry, very hungry. So in verse 6, we see what they do. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son of law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companions. So the Philistines came came up and burned her and her father with fire. Samson said to them, Since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you. And after that, I will cease. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelled in the cleft of the rock of Edom. The Philistines find out it was him. So they go burn his wife and her dad with fire, not with snow. I guess if it's cold enough, ice can cause a burn of sorts, but still with fire. And so he then attacks them hip and thigh. Which is a really interesting phrase. I had to look it up because I didn't know what it meant. Which means to attack unsparingly and overwhelmingly. You've got to keep in mind, we discussed this last week. A lot of people get the idea that Samson was an Arnold Schwarzenegger type. Real big buff. But it's very possible that He was just a regular guy. So to overwhelmingly attack an entire village, and we're not told how many he killed, but I'm imagining it was a few. Um, Again, an example of God's power upon him. Now I do find it interesting, and we did touch on this, that in chapter 14, the companions of Samson threatened to burn his wife and her father's house if she doesn't get the answer to the riddle. And here it actually happens. It's kind of foreshadowing a bit. Verse 9. In verse 9, Now the Philistines went up encamped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? So they answered, We have come up to arrest Samson, to do to him as he has done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. But they said to him, We have come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Then Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. So they spoke to him, saying, No, but we will tie you securely and deliver you to their hand. But we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it, and killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. Now, Samson was many things, but apparently not a poet. Um, so the Philistines come down th- uh, and they, they threaten the people of Judah and Judah goes fine we'll go arrest him so they send 3,000 guys out to arrest Samson once he's delivered the spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he breaks his bonds the scripture made sure to tell us that it was new rope so you couldn't make the excuse oh well it was just some old you know rotted piece of rope that's why he easily broke it um, he picks up the fresh jawbone of a donkey which violated his Nazarite vow. And he kills a thousand men with it. And then he calls the place Ramath-Lehi, which means jawbone height. Now, Samson killing the Philistines was the right thing to do, as the Spirit of the Lord came upon him to do that, and God wanted to use Samson to move against the Philistines. However, he didn't have to do it with the jawbone of an unclean animal. Because picking up that jawbone violated his vow. And and we've seen that already. He had already slept with an unclean woman, right? He had slept with a non-Jewish woman in the last chapter. And that violated his Nazarite vow. And now he's violating it again by touching a dead animal, or an unclean dead animal. And uh, I just wrote myself a little note that it is possible to do the right thing the wrong way. Right? It's possible to do the right thing the wrong way. 2 Corinthians five twelve through 15 says, We do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Now I bring that up, because if we're going to do the right thing the right way, it requires that we do it with the right motivation. And our motivation should always be the love of Christ. Everything we should do should be because we love the people around us you go out tomorrow afternoon and you buy a goat, take it home to your wife, it should be the love of Christ that compelled you to do so. Verse 18. Now, if you haven't read it yet, I love the next couple verses. They make me laugh. Then he became very thirsty. So he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank, and his spirit returned. And he revived. Therefore there he called its name En-Hakore, which is in Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. So Samson was apparently a little bit immature right? Broke the bonds, killed a thousand men, throws it aside, and then he starts whining because he's thirsty. Anybody here? I've done this, right? Not that way, not exactly that way, but I've had uh, many moments throughout my life as a follower of Christ and uh, my life as a pastor where God did something that was fantastic, and it was a great victory, And then within a day or two, I was whining about something insignificant. Forgetting all about the great victory he had just given me. Forgetting all about the fact that I know he answers prayer. That I know he's working on my behalf. But we're human and we get whiny. And what I think is important to notice, even though I think Samson's whining, God doesn't rebuke him. God provides him water. And this spring that God created for Samson still existed at the time that Judges was being written. And Hakore means spring of the color because Samson called out to God. And then there's a little note that Samson judged Israel for 20 years, uh, but that will come up again in a little bit. Verse 1 of chapter 16. Samson's... Oh, now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there, And went into her. When the Gazites were told Samson had come has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, In the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. And I find this fascinating. Samson's lust once again gets the best of him, and he has sex with a prostitute, which violated his Nazarite vow. Right There's a reason I keep bringing that up, because it is the violation, violation of his Nazarite vow that ultimately causes him to lose his strength a little later on in this chapter. So when the people of Gaza hear he is there, they lie in wait for him, attending to kill him. But, in verse 3, it said, Samson lay low till midnight. And he arose at midnight. Took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Now I find it fascinating that they knew he was there. My best guess is the prostitute ratted him out. Right? She got paid. So told the guys, oh, he's here, come kill him. But he was down in Gaza, and Gaza was one of the five Philistine royal cities. And therefore, it was heavily fortified. Archaeological digs have discovered that the gate that Samson picked up and carried to the top of the hill facing Hebron would have been approximately 60 feet high, give or take. That's taller than our ceiling in here. I'm guessing, right? What is this? This building can't be more than 40 feet or 35 feet tall. 60 feet high. It would have been built, based on other archaeological finds from this time period, it would have been built of stone and solid cedar. The estimate of the weight was somewhere in the neighborhood of 4 tons, or 8,000 pounds. The location of the nearest hill facing Hebron is debated. There's some people who who identified one hill that was about 11 miles away from Gaza. Some people identify a hill that's about 37 miles away from Gaza. I don't care which one you pick. Whether it's 11 miles or 37 miles. He was probably thirsty again after that. But the hill, whichever one it was, was one of the highest points in the area. So depositing the gate on top of that hill would have shown all the surrounding region that that city was left unfortified and would have been an embarrassment for the Philistines. So Samson gets up at midnight. He tears the gate out of the wall. A four-ton gate. And let's assume it's the closer of the two hills that they think it might be. Holding it over his head because it was 60 feet tall, how else would he hold it? Had to hold it above his head, right? This is a guy who did his military press. He must have had serious shoulders. Carried it 11 miles up a hill. At some point in time, he had to go up a hill and dropped it off up there. That, to me, is unbelievable, Right? other than the fact that the word of God told us it happened. And we know God can do anything. So God did this amazing work in spite of the fact that Samson had violated his vow again. How long do you think that's going to last? I'm going to give you a hint. Less than 15 verses. Verse 4. Afterward it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorat, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him and find out where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So at that time, offering her 5,500 pieces of silver from the Philistine lords would have made her a millionaire. In today's standards, she could have retired. I don't know what she did, but she could have retired. So Deliah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound to afflict you. That would be like walking up to a guy and saying, hey, where do you hide your gun? I'd like to shoot you with it. Or a girl, right? There's, There's girls in here who own guns too. That's the equivalent of what she said. What can I do to you that, so that somebody can kill you? And Samson said, huh. If they me, bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other men. Bowstrings back then were typically made of animal guts. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now, when he wakes up, and she had tied him up with the bowstrings. Don't so you think he would have gotten a clue? The men were lying in wait, staying with her in her room. And she said to him, "The Philistines are upon you, Samson." But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, "Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with." Anybody want to just kind of shake Samson? Dude! So he said to her, If they bind me securely with new ropes, they have never been used, and I shall become weak and be like any other men. So Delilah took new ropes, bound him with them, and said to to him, The Philistines are upon you. And men were lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. Delilah said to Samson, Until now, you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, "'If you weave the seven locks of my head "'into the web of a loom.'" Now, what's the problem with that? He's getting closer, isn't he? He's getting closer to the truth. So she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to him, "'The Philistines are upon you!' But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. And then she said to him, "'How can you say I love you?' Now, At that point, my answer would have been, woman, I don't love you, I'm leaving. Clearly, you do not have my best interest at heart. But that's not what he said. (sighs) Samson, (laughs) how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily, pestered him, sorry, daily with her words and pressed him, So that his soul was vexed to death. She annoyed it out of him. I don't care. That he told her all his heart. Verse 17. And said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head. For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me. And I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up. Once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, listen to these words very carefully. I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. Pride, pride, pride. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. The Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after It had been shaven. So Samson's lust and Samson's pride and really the disrespect that he had for the vow he had taken lead to his downfall because he lacked the knowledge of or recognition of the fact that God was the source of his strength. Right? He thought it was bound up in his hair which was part of his vow. But God was the source of his strength, not his hair. So Delilah accepts the bribe and she gets him to tell her the truth. Brings a guy in to shave off his head. How, How sleepy must Samson have been? I mean, I imagine if I had long locks of hair and somebody started shaving my head, I might wake up. But... When it came to it, he said, I'm going to go out like every other time. Just watch. He kept getting closer to the truth, playing games with it, flirting with sin, compromising. And this was because he was confident in himself, not in, not in God. And we can run into the same issue when pride gets a hold of us. Proverbs 16, 18 reminds us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 25, 26 said, A righteous man who falters... Before the wicked is like a murky spring and a polluted well. It's exactly what Samson did. He faltered before the wicked. Galatians 5.16 reminds us that if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Then his lust, and really Delilah's manipulation of his love for her, he had clearly lost all good judgment because of his lust. Right I, Now, I don't know what Delilah looked like. But I can guess she was, she was a smoking hot biddy. No offense. But I'm guessing she must have been something else for him to keep getting closer and closer to this secret just so he could continue to be with her. And why he didn't ever just wake up and realize that Delilah wasn't the right woman for him. But we do this, don't we? When we're not careful, when we flirt with sin, when we get closer to it, when we get caught up in the lusts of the flesh, we have the potential to give up all sense of right, to give up all sense of value. And then we make poor judgments. Right? Well, you know, I could could have a little bit of weed. It's not going to be that big. Right, I mean, I could surf some of those websites, you know, not the really bad ones, but just some of the more mild ones, but I just won't go that far. Eventually, you will fall. Proverbs 6:23 through 28. I like this passage: "For the commandment is a lamp, and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman. Now, I know, unfortunately, this hadn't been written for poor Samson yet, but it would have been helpful. From the flattering tongue of a seductress, do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread. And an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Now, listen carefully. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? What that means is sin always has consequences. You can't pick up fire and not get burned. You can't toy with sin and expect that you're going to come away unscathed. Finally, he didn't know that God had left him. All of this led to his capture. He was blinded because of his pride, because of his lust, because he didn't have confidence in God. He didn't know that the Lord had departed from him. What a sad testimony. And I know, you know, we we spend a lot of time as we look into the New Testament and we talk about our salvation by grace. We talked about being kept in our salvation by grace. But you know, if you turn away from God, and you keep running away from him, and you refuse to repent, and you refuse to acknowledge your sin, and you refuse to acknowledge his place or his rightful place in your life, well, I think it's altogether possible that he could depart from us, and we wouldn't even know In Mark 12, 24, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, and they were having the discussion about the resurrection. And he answered and said to them, are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God? And we're going to talk more about this Sunday. Um, But I'm going to tell you something. More often than not, when we are mistaken, it's because we don't know the scriptures or we're ignoring them or we don't know the power. But this is why it is so important for each of us to be actively engaged in the word of God so that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, according to 2 Peter 3.18. Doing so, we help to keep us out of the same pitfalls that Samson fell into. So he was made a grinder in the prison, which basically meant he pulled a millstone to grind wheat or some other grain, this was the job of a donkey. This wasn't the job of a person. He was bound with brass. Brass is always a symbol of judgment. And this is exactly what sin does to us. The first thing it does is it blinds us. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. A person caught up in sin is blind to their own condition. They believe their own lies, or they believe the lies of the enemy. Not only does it blind us, it binds us. John 8, 34, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Romans six sixteen. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey? whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness, right? So we may think we can handle it or that we can quit or that I can walk away at any time, right? But that's not how it works. If or when you go after sin in any way, it gets a hold on you. And the longer you entertain that sin, the stronger the hold becomes. Sin blinds us it binds us. And finally, I had to stretch for this one. It grinds us. It wears us down. James 115 says, When desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. There's a progression. It conceives, right? That's the dabbling. It gives birth. I'm not dabbling anymore, I'm full into it. And then when it's full grown, when it has such a grip on you that you can't get away from it, it brings death. Spiritual death, emotional death, relationship death, death. And ultimately, if you don't repent, eternal death. Any one of us who is honest Can communicate the devastating effects of unrepentant sin in our own lives, we can never pretend that sin will not have consequences. There is, however, a way out. Romans 6, 17 through 23 says this But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is the way out. Whether it's the first time that you need to get away from sin and you come to Christ for salvation, or whether it's the thousandth time and you come back to him again, asking for forgiveness and cleansing, he is the only answer. Verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon on their God and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered into our hands Samson our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened, when their hearts were merry that they said, Call for Samson, that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. And they stationed him between the pillars. And Samson said to the land who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple, so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof, watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars, which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right hand and the other on his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. So, as we remember in verse 22, his hair was starting to grow back. Now, even though his hair wasn't the source of his strength, and it was his commitment to God through the Nazarite vow that he broke, he begins to come back. Now, I imagine having your eyes ripped out and being forced to do the job of a donkey in a prison would be humbling. I'm guessing. And so we don't know how long it was before this scene took place. But I imagine during that time, Samson did some great self-reflection and probably some repentance and uh, whatnot. It's a guess. So he's called to perform. And the word perform here is interesting because what it means is he's called to be something to laugh at. So what he actually did to perform, we don't know what they made him do. But whatever it was, it was something that they could laugh at so that they could mock him and then praise their false god. Dagon, of course, if you remember, we've talked about him before, was a fish god. Picture a mermaid was the idol that was used, right? But instead of a woman on top, it was a man. So picture a merman. That's silly. Picture a mermaid, but a man. Picture a merman. When Nathan confronted David over his sin with Bathsheba, he said to David, he said, because of this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. In 2 Samuel twelve fourteen, This is what we do. When we fall or act in a way that dishonors God, we give his enemies reasons to mock him and to blaspheme him. I don't ever want to give the enemies of God a reason to blaspheme him. And even though that's what Samson had done, God is gracious. So he tells the boy who was holding his hand, because he's blind, can you just lean me up against one of the pillars? And the boy does so. And he prays that the Lord would strengthen him one more time. And that very moment, Samson realized or recognized, or at least verbalized something that he had recognized earlier, that God was the source of his strength. Not his hair, Not anything else, but that God was the source of his strength. And God answers him. He tears down the temple and kills 3,000 Philistines. More than he did throughout his life. So what was the difference? Well, Samson asked God for the strength. He recognized that God was the source of his strength. He let go of his pride, his self-confidence, and he trusted in the Lord. I would not be surprised if we saw Samson in heaven. It wouldn't be. Verse 31. And his brother brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal In the tomb of his father Manoah, he had judged Israel 20 years. So his, he's buried by his brothers um, in his father's tomb. And we once again are told that he lived or he judged Israel for 20 years. So we're not, we know that when he was born, the Philistines were already... Um, Oppressing the Israelites. Uh, so we don't know how old he was when he had his first act uh, back in chapter, must have been chapter, what, 13? Sorry. Back in chapter 13, 45 Yeah, back in chapter 13. We don't know how old he was, but he was old enough to get married when he killed that lion. Now, in that culture, that doesn't necessarily mean 25. That could have been 15 or 16, at least in his mid-teens. And so that's when his judgment of being a judge over Israel started. So he died somewhere between 35 and 40, give or take. And to me, that means Samson is a tragic story of wasted potential. You're talking about a man who was called by God from birth. A man who was filled over and over again with the spirit of God. A man who had been separated to God. A man who had been strengthened by God. And we see him do these incredible things. Like lift up an 8,000 pound gate and carry it 11 miles to the top of a hill. Or rip a lion apart with his bare hands. Or kill a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Right? Right? He should have gone down in history as one of the greatest heroes for God in the Bible. Instead, he wasted his life. He wasted his life with lust, anger, and pride. He wasted his life with his own self-confidence. He wasted his life by ignoring the true source of his strength. How many people today are wasting their lives? Are wasting their calling and wasting the gifting of God in their lives? You're wasting it by sin, wasting it by pride, or apathy, or distraction, or a host of other things. Because God has a call for each of us. He has placed within us the potential of the Holy Spirit and power of God. Remember Romans 8.11 tells us that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. So what are we doing with it? Are we going to be like Samson? Are we going to waste what God has given to us? Or are we going to, by his power and love, live up to the potential that God has placed in each of us? Some people think they will be fine without God or that they will be okay with a shallow relationship with him, but this isn't the truth. Hebrews has warned us, To hold fast our confidence in Christ firm to the end, in Hebrews 2. We are told that God has created us for good works to walk in them, in Ephesians 2.10. But what are we doing with it? Are we diving deep into our relationship with God? Are we seeking him for the life and for the work that he wants us to do? When we know what they are, are we walking them out by his power and grace? I hope so. I don't want to be like Samson. I don't want to get to the end of my life and find that I had wasted some of it. I hope the same is true for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the example of Samson, for the lessons we can learn from his mistakes and his foolishness. I pray, God, for every person in here, every person who may be joining us online, and every person who may listen to this recording some other time that we would pursue you because you have pursued us to know what you want us to do and then by the resurrection power of Christ in us that we would live up to the potential that you've placed in each of us. Father, not by our strength, but by yours. And not for our glory, but for yours. In Jesus' name.